0: Welcome, welcome everybody to this edition of Biblically Speaking, the podcast. I'm your host, Jared Bowman and with me as always, wait a second, that's not Brian Haynes. Brian is somewhere different this morning. He had another commitment, and he was really sad because this week we've got a guest, Chris Emerson. Buddy, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well. I'm experiencing cold and wet down here. That's the stuff you're supposed to be experiencing,
0: but otherwise, Texas is doing great last year we experienced or last week we experienced meat locker that we were mm. frozen in at one point <laughs> man. it's good good to have you back buddy it's been several months since I've had you on any of the podcasts man ups getting up and going again biblically speaking we're coming off of our winter break Brian was sad to miss the first episode back and your episode but he's got some other he had another appointment this morning on YouTube he's got a, a show that he does there with a friend of his and they just overlapped. But Chris is stepping in, and today we're talking about what it really means to be citizens of the kingdom. And I want to share, Chris, with the audience for a second why we're talking about this. This is a little bit of my spiritual struggle. Most of the audience probably knows this, but I have a history with politics. We're in an election year. We're in one of those years that just absolutely makes me groan because it brings out the worst in our culture, but it can also bring out the worst in our people where we become very divisive, we become very engaged in political rhetoric. Brethren sometimes can even shout down other brethren, or I've even seen people doubt the salvation of other people because of why they were voting or how they were voting. There's a lot of nonsense that comes up in an election year, and I've made no bones about this. I've had to quit politics just cold turkey. It doesn't mean I don't vote, but I've had to get out of the political realm because I realized it was creating a real barrier for me and my walk with Jesus. Because on the one hand, I'm out there saying, love your neighbor, go and preach to the lost. And on the other hand, I'm so angry with the person with the bumper stickers in front of me that doesn't vote the way that I vote, that I hope that something bad happens to them. So that was a sobering moment for me. It's been almost 15 years since I had that moment, but that's a sobering moment for me. And I think a lot of people though, in these types of years, we or in these years, we run into this tendency to really fixate on the world around us and its problems. And Chris, you said something brilliant in a conversation yesterday we were having. You were talking about how if we could just get people to look at the kingdom that Jesus created as their real spiritual even dare i say political identity then maybe we'd stand a chance at making some headway here talk to us a little bit about that brother
1: it's just interesting the way we approach all this today i appreciate your honesty about your journey i feel like my journey may have been inverted from that though we end up at a similar place today i politically growing up we didn't talk about it i don't know if my parents voted or not i knew that we were republican just because i don't even remember the first time i voted it wasn't that many years ago i do now but I go in and hold my nose when I do it. Like it just, uh, I got <laughs> tied in around 2016 and onward. I got tied into it like everybody else did because things got wild. But then I don't know. I just get disenchanted pretty quickly. And I tend to not have emotional attachment. I preached at a congregation a handful of years ago, about 10 years ago, that had a pretty decent mix in it politically and ethnically and all those kinds of things going back to 2008. And, and I, I just didn't, I didn't have any angst in that. Like there's nothing about that perturbed me. But then I started to notice that for some brethren, it was a a really big deal. So I had to get in and learn some things. But I just tried to keep my distance. I was kind of like, Jared, do you want me on this program? Because I I love some things that have happened in the last 10 years, but I I don't think about it as as heavy. And Jared was like, that's what we want to talk about. The decisions that get made nationally and politically, they matter. We want to vote well and, and get good outcomes. But aren't we ready? Aren't you ready to just admit that It only matters a little. One thing is it it only matters for a period of time. It only matters in one location. Uh, Christian nationalism is something I'm sure you've talked about where being American and our government and the rules we set police the world and we're the one in the world. But it's almost like we think the gospel started here and and we're the ones that we've got to get back to Christ who was not born over here and did not set all this up in the English language. And did it in the face of vast political opposition, where it looked like a total fool's game for him to even try. It was Rome. There was, there was, it had no chance. It was truly a mustard seed. And what's happened since then? How many nations have risen and fallen? How many big names have come and gone? You've got to get back to Daniel 7, the son of man, and this eternal kingdom. And I, and I know we know it. Like, we know it. But do you know it? Do you right. feel it? Does it truly dominate your spirit? Which is so cool. You just told that story you told. You were a Christian 15 years ago. But I was a preacher. Yeah. Another kingdom. Yeah. Like a, another kingdom had drawn more emotion than the kingdom and it
0: woke you up. And if we can help do that today, mm-hmm. I'm in. I, I, th- I think that's what it's all about. I was thinking as you were talking, and you, you were making that that emotional appeal, you get, getting connected with this great thing God has done. I sometimes I do think that our brethren think that it was a bald eagle that descended on Jesus and in when he was baptized and things like that, but <laughs> instead of a dove. But here's the thing: the Apostle Paul, Colossians three, says, "Set your affections on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God." He's a, he's appealing appealing to the authority of Jesus as a king, right? Same kind of statement gets made in Philippians four, starting in verse six, going down through verse nine. Whatever is honorable and lovely and of good report and praiseworthy, and you know, all of those adjectives that Paul uses to describe the things that we're supposed to meditate on, be drawn to, that really focus our attention on. Same passage as Paul is saying in this gospel: there's no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. There's no, there's not a difference between male and female. I mean, we are called to a better kingdom. Flat out, bar none, the the promised utopias that man wants to create, I don't care what social system you think creates a utopia, whether it's democracy or socialism or whatever, you're never going to create a kingdom that is as perfect as the one that Jesus has created that he wants you to be part of, that he wants you to be active in calling other men to. And I think one of the stumbling blocks that we have, particularly in these kinds of election years, is we get so... Wrapped up in trying to evangelize, for me it would be conservatism. I know there's a. I've got a lot of friends that are libertarian. Some of them are very evangelistic about libertarianism, or some are Democrats. They're very evangelistic about the good that the Democrat Party does, it things that they think are important. What we forget to tell people is, I got a better King, and I've got a better kingdom that I'm part of, and that's exactly where Paul goes in Philippians three, where in, when he says after talking about all, you know, a favorite passage in all the Bibles, Philippians 3, 14, that all of this, I'm pressing on toward the goal of, that I'm pressing on to the thing that Jesus laid hold of me for. He concludes in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven. Now, what did Jesus say over, over in John 18? My, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, then my servants would fight to free me from the Jews. So how do we get to this mindset of recognizing yes there's some importance to the things in the world going on around us yes we might be able to to make some inroads in legislating against sin and things like that but that's not really what we need to be evangelistic about we need to be calling people to Jesus and you said something in the show the pre-show that I really liked and, and I riffed on it a little bit there but the paradigm of I got to see myself as a citizen of a different kingdom. I got to see myself as belonging to Jesus. And we were talking about the two views of that. Jesus is your shepherd, so you got this personal relationship with him, but he's also calling you into a better kingdom, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I know we'll get into some of that today because there's tons of imagery, at least five or six different sets of imagery in the New Testament trying to push us beyond in just an individual relationship with Jesus, which I think is wonderful yeah. and I talk a lot about. But beyond just that to what we are a part of, I was thinking about, We may need some different sequencing in the way we identify ourselves. There are probably plenty of Christians, and maybe I'd have fit there too, who if I'd have said, Jared, tell me who you are. You go, well, number one, I'm a Christian. Great. It's a great Mm -hmm. answer. Number two, I'm an American. And number three, I'm a part of a movement or an effort. or I go to church. And I don't know that Jared would say that, but I, I do think there's this tendency to go individual, then national, then spiritual. Because for us, the spiritual becomes... A future event. Like right now, I'm just a Christian trying to follow Jesus. I'm an American kind of trying to balance out and enjoy all that. And then one day, one day, I will give that up and I will be transferred to a spiritual eternal kingdom. And then one goes away and the other one starts. That's a false concept. The Lord's concept is you become a part of a spiritual body even whilst you live under national circumstances where you have to change your thinking when you're born again, John three, he, he wasn't just born again into a relationship with Jesus. He was born into a kingdom, the whole purpose. So I have to go, actually I am an individual. I think that's a place to start. I'm in a relationship with Jesus. That means I am a member of the kingdom functioning in the body spiritual. And I'm also still an American and maybe I won't always be, maybe I'll move. I don't know how that works, but i will move over somewhere else and do some preaching. But we have to fix it because we, what we end up doing is trying to have this dual citizenship ideology where I don't think anybody listening is really 100% with me going, yeah, that's where I've been, Christian, American, church person. But American and church person really fight for that second spot. And when you read that relative to First Peter and you get into First Peter chapter 2, it talks about being aliens and strangers, right? I'm alien and stranger in this land. Because I have been brought into the will and body of God. But look, I'm not disparaging. I love my country. I'm in, I live in Texas. That's. I love it. i six like You I don't forgot think it's Texas. Than anywhere else?
0: <laughs> you completely
1: forgot yeah, that you're I'm a Texas. I'm not saying it's better, but
0: I live in Oregon and I'm a Texan. Man, if. <laughs> and look, here's the thing.
1: I love my country and our freedom, but it starts to get into these weird categories where we're so blessed by God and we know God loves us so much because I live in East Texas. What about my brethren who don't? What about the brethren who live in all these other places and right. under the under like real first century oppression? Are they less? Are they more? If they became more like us, they'd get some of our political outcomes and then we like what are we doing? Be careful. We have to feature the spiritual centrally and then let the national be just a Potential blessing that grows out. Let's
0: riff on those two passages for a couple of seconds, because there's something about the second, the first Peter reference you made, and then the John reference that I really want people to see, because I think it. I, this is something. This isn't just a matter of opinion. This is something I earnestly believe as someone who is charged with teaching others the gospel of Christ. That this is a huge stumbling block for the church in America. This is a huge stumbling block. It add. It builds. In my mind, the political attitude builds a lot of sectarian kind of thinking into the way that we see brethren, because we almost have this, if you don't think exactly like me, you're not with me kind of mentality on a lot of issues. And so this is something we need to be careful of. I, I want you to see what he says in First Peter 2. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. We're, we're engaged in warfare. Immediately, it should take our minds back to passages like Ephesians chapter 6, right? Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Now, he's writing primarily to Jewish Christians in 1 Peter. I, I get that. But I think Gentiles here works in two different ways. I, I think it is not just people who are physically Gentiles. I think he's talking about people outside of the kingdom because of what he's going to say next. So that in the thing that they slander you as evildoers, they may be cause of your good deeds as they observe them. And this is straight out of the Sermon on the Mount, the original thesis, the original kingdom gospel, Matthew chapter 4. It says Jesus began preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, boom, first sermon on the kingdom gospel, right? This is what the kingdom looks like. This comes straight out of the Sermon on the Mount. It's just after the Beatitudes. He says that in the good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So in your day of difficulty, the day when God, that day of visitation, that word visitation literally means to oversee or to test or to bring to fruition. It can have all kinds of meetings. It's basically a military term that it's inspection, if you will. So when God inspects you to see whether or not you're really part of the kingdom that belongs to his son they're going to, he it's not just him that's going to have seen your goodness the world's going to see your goodness that you glorified God in what you were doing because you are not part of their kingdom you're part of the kingdom that belongs to Christ now go back to what you were talking about in John 3 for a second that this is the response Jesus gives to Nicodemus truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus is is stammering over this idea of being born again or else you cannot see the kingdom of God. I can't be born a second time. Nicodemus understands the ramifications of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you are not by birth as a child of Abraham, the way he thought of the kingdom, a part of God's kingdom, the, the kingdom that He Jesus is now preaching, the kingdom that was then at that time at hand that we are now part of, that Nicodemus, you're not part of this kingdom just because you're born of Abraham. You must be born from above or you must be born again. That tr- that, that phrase again translates into born from above as well. And you cannot be part of this kingdom. You cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born of water in the spirit. There's a throwback there to Ezekiel 36 and the promise that God was going to take dead stone hearts and give them living hearts, and he was going to wash them with pure water. The idea there, I think it is a euphemism for baptism. Jesus isn't telling Nicodemus to go run off and get baptized at that moment, but he's making, he's, there's a logical appeal to the baptism that's going to come later, but it's, but what is it? This baptism, it's not. Like Peter talks about it in first Peter, same letter we were just in. It's not the putting away the filth of the flesh. It's the appeal to God for a good conscience. I'm asking God to take away my sin, but I'm also asking God, according to Jesus in Nic- in, in Nicodemus three, <laughs> If your Bible has a book of Nicodemus. Your Bible has a problem in John three. I'm asking God to be part of his kingdom. So I think that fits with what that's some deep cut type of Bible study right there. We might've gone over the head of the people, but what I want you to see from all of this is a huge deal. That thinking about the kingdom of God, not as when I'm baptized, yes, I'm in a saved relationship with Jesus. Yes, I've got a personal relationship. I'm the one, the 99 were safe. I'm the one that was out in the wilderness. I get that connection. But you said it brilliantly, I think in the pre-show, that is, I'm also part of his flock. I, I'm part of the John 10 flock, right? I'm one of many that are supposed to collectively be following him. And when we allow right. the division to creep in when we allow our thoughts to be taken away from calling men to his kingdom when we allow our thoughts to be possessed with the fear and the worry because i mean that's what politics thrives on right now long gone are the days when politics were were when politicians would try to outnoble one another and really run on the quality of their ideas and ideals now it's just slander right it's fear-mongering. Every poli- I don't care whether you're left, right, center, or libertarian, that everybody's going to win by making you afraid. There, there's two reasons that people buy. You, you either show them something they want or you make them afraid. Fear is a big, yeah. is a big I love motivator. motivator.
1: Think about Nicodemus. What a perfect example, Jared. Nicodemus was the politician of their day. He's a part of the sect of the Pharisees which are trying to rule the people in the way that they think is right. They're also trying to maintain that relationship with the Roman government. And, and that's a lot of why they're so angry with Jesus. It was his Sabbath work that was a slap in the face of their laws, but it was also this, Hey, this is going to draw Roman attention and create problems for us. And so Nicodemus is being asked to completely restructure his thinking, not just to be born into a better relationship with Jesus, But to be added to Christ's kingdom, his rule, which was all throughout the Old Testament and really was the centerpiece of Jesus' ministry. It was inviting you into this upside down, different kingdom. Well, Nicodemus, that was a big deal. He would have to overcome all the stuff that ended up happening with Paul, being kicked out and they turn on you. And what's fascinating is you don't read about Nicodemus anywhere else but the Gospel of John. I I wish we had one more reference. We have Nicodemus in chapter seven. Who, who's getting it. Jesus is drawing me into this thing, but uh, I just can't do it. So he just has this voice of reason with his fellow Pharisees. Maybe we should just hear him out a little bit. And then in John 19, you get him one more time where Joseph of Arimathea is taking the body of Jesus and accompanying him is Nicodemus. I think that was a big step. I think it was a huge step, really, where he's coming out a bit and saying, this is what I believe. I wish we had just one reference in Acts or... yeah first Peter or something saying Nicodemus became an elder, but that struggle is not foreign to us. I think we think that it is, but it isn't. It's There's partyism of standing by religiously, the people who've approved you, the people who control you politically to stand for the principles of Christ. Look, I get it in America. We got to vote for some crazy dude who can push things through, but have we noticed how much different he is than Jesus? And how we're drawn to defend that behavior. We've got some, we've got some tough things we got to stand up for. And becoming a Christian isn't just, I'm a Christian and I'm just going to kind of keep doing this song and dance of sectarianism religiously and Americanism. We've got to change. Now I want to add something before we move off of kingdom. Oh, yeah. uh, I was raised in Humble, Texas. Steve Fontenot is a preacher there, still preaches there. And he taught me years ago, he said, when you see kingdom which Jesus introduces here and so often the kingdom is comprised of four elements there is a king mm-hmm. there is a set of citizens there are rules mm-hmm. and there are blessings mm-hmm. so to join the kingdom means a relationship with the king which i think most of us really like. I'm a christian first right i'm in a relationship with christ and we really like the last thing blessings all right oh, yeah. I'm in a relationship with Jesus, the king. But in between are two really important kingdom elements, rules and fellow citizens. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that my Christianity is getting too individualistic, it's just going to be about the king and me and the way he blesses me. Mm -hmm. Focus in on how important those two middle things are to you. How important is it to follow the rules of the king. Yes. And how important is it to participate fellowship in the citizenship? And I'm not just talking about Sunday worship. I am talking about that, but all portions of that. And I think that's where we need to grade ourselves. A little. Uh,
0: I think that's one of the huge mistakes we make with Hebrews 10 when we make it all about, fel- make the idea of, let us, talking about those who are drawn near, and then you have this warning about forsaking the assembling of the saints and that we're supposed to stir each other uh, up to love and good works that we've made that all about Sunday worship, right? If you look at the Hebrew, now I am not denying that there is a great application to Sunday worship. When you look at Hebrews 10, 25, but it is deeper than that. Hebrews is doing the book of Hebrews is trying to accomplish two things. Number one, It is trying to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything and greater that God foreshadowed in things like the ark, the temple, or the tabernacle, the high priestly service, and the sacrifices, right? The second thing that it's trying to do is trying to encourage you to draw closer to Jesus, but it is peppered—and you and I have had this conversation before— because this is such a great thought, and I don't know that I've ever connected it this way until you said what you said right there, that all throughout this book, you have these affirmations, these encouragements, let us do this. Because Jesus is this, let us collectively do this. We, when we overemphasize the individual connection to Jesus, And you hear people say that all the time. Why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to be a a part of a church? I can do everything Jesus wants me to be. Jesus wants me to love people. I got it. Jesus wants me to be good. I got it. Jesus wants me to, to do these things. I can do those things. I don't need people. Yes, you do. And as you invite things in that are divisive, to that relationship with the people of Jesus, which politics inherently are. I'm not saying it is evil to ever have a political thought or to have a political candidate that you want to follow. I'm just saying you need to be aware of the impact on your life. As you invite those thoughts in, and they are changing the relationship that you have with your brethren, or they are changing your relationship with the people that you have in the outside world, where you go from seeing them as lost who need to be, brought into the kingdom of Jesus to your enemies because they do not think and reason and vote the way that you do, you have introduced something foreign into the gospel. Yes or no?
1: Yeah, sure. I, I love all that. I think there's a lot of ways we can go with this. I'm going to piggyback on your earlier half on worship just because it's a good example, not because we set this up to try to trap people into coming back to church. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't get any better Nefarious to figure out the kingdom principles Then to think about that, everybody knows there's these five acts of worship. You know, Uh, you go to church and you sing. Why? Because I'm supposed to sing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You go to church and you pray. Why? Because we're supposed to pray. You go to give. Why? Because there was an example where Christians gave. You go to partake so I can remember Jesus. Just listen to this language. I can remember Jesus. You go to study so I can learn. Uh, Those are all true and they're all secondary. Like you could do, if it's about you learning, you remembering, you giving, you, pray, do, you could do all of that at home. The idea of coming together, if you study the New Testament, is the sharing. It's about we need to sing together because we are in this together. I'm singing to teach, to share. When we pray, when guys are leading prayers, when we're bowing our heads, we are, I love Acts 4. I know the walls don't literally shake around here. Let me pause, make sure everybody understands I said that.
0: I but live in Oregon. Sometimes they literally do. The first sometimes time. they literally do shake in Oregon. It's rare, but we do have right, you're get in trouble You for do that. have those earthquakes. <laughs> you're going to get rid of that. Uh, a, you're in
1: big trouble. All right, okay. no, I'm not kidding. But but in Acts 4, they were moved as a group as they proclaimed the boldness of God. And you might be like, I don't know that I need that. Wrong statement, wrong question. This isn't about what you need or what you think you need or want. This is about what you are a part of. Yes who you have become you have become a citizen in a kingdom you have become a sheep in a flock you have become a child in a family you have become a christian in a church like all of those ideas you are a part of something sunday and wednesday become an opportunity to share and engage very really like physically in those connections and i don't i'm not going to blame it on nationalism Like we've backed away from that because we're Americans. I don't think that. I I think a lot of us just backed away from both and just locked our front door and said, you know what I am? I'm an
0: Emerson who loves Jesus. Okay, cool. But I'm still a part of this country. But I do think it is because nationalism has become a convenient, and you just said it, a convenient way for me to signal that I might be part of something without really going out and boldly proclaiming it. Because here, here's what I see. Yeah, you you talk about Acts four, right? You go four chapters over, yes. you're in Acts eight. What are they doing at the beginning of Acts eight? They're burying Stephen, right? And what happens right after yeah. that? Bad things, man, and then really great things. Yeah. So Paul starts persecuting or Saul at the time starts persecuting the church. Has to leave Jerusalem. It's got to, it's breaking out of the cradle, if you will. It's going all over the place now here's the real test. Are these people really all in on Jesus? Are these people really devoted to bringing other people into the kingdom? They're not. It's all about the personal relationship with Jesus. Guess what? They go somewhere. They start a new life. They never really mention it to anybody. Maybe, you know, somebody says something about God to them. Oh yeah. Hey, why don't you come worship in my house? I love to tell you about Jesus, but keep it on the DL, right? I don't want anybody to know it. That's not what they do. That they go everywhere and they're excited. They're under the penalty of death right now. They're under the penalty of death. And they're going everywhere telling people, I got a king. I got a savior. You need to know him. One of those things is really the transformation of, okay, this is an amazing thing that I've become part of. The other is, oh, I'll have a personal relationship with Jesus, but I, I you know, it may cost me some business contacts if I start really telling them about the kingdom. It may cost me a, a, a little extra money because I don't get the friends and family discount if I start annoying people with the, with talking too much about Jesus and how they need to know Jesus and how I think maybe we should sit down and study the Bible because they already go to church. It's not where I go, but they're comfortable and I don't want to disrupt that. That's not how kingdom people think. That That's not how kingdom people think at all. Yeah.
1: And that's it's, yeah, I mean, think in terms of we're part of this ship that will float when every other ship sinks, even the ship that we sometimes are in. Yeah. company thoughts about government. I think we're thankful. I'm thankful to live where I live. I know you are. I'm thankful for our freedoms. I mentioned earlier we need to be careful with that, sure. as if it's this evidence of God's blessings, because that historically, if I go back to the first century, the people you just read about in Acts eight, they did not have governmental support. They didn't have local religious support through the Jews and the Pharisees, and they didn't have uh, governmental support by Rome, and they flourished in that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how often they prayed for that to fix. I think they just prayed to be kingdom citizens, live in an inverted way. I think they understood that Christ's kingdom is so inverted that you can't really be good at both anyway. Yeah. You know, you can't be good at the game that works in Rome which is power and a sense of ruthlessness and a sense of dominion and also be great in the kingdom, which is foot washing. But I think they got that. Now for us, we just have to be careful of losing that and going, man, I sure am glad it's not like that around here. I sure am glad I live in the best country in the history of the world. Okay. Count your many blessings, but, and I, I can't get into the history on this. I've read about it. I would need to cite some sources to make a powerful argument, but If you go back to second century, third century, all the way up to now, when the church and the local government got along, a lot of really not great things happened. It sounds like the best possible outcome. Yeah. The church and the government are buddies. Wow, this is the best. It usually worked out to lead us to more worldliness, a lot of violence. Like all of a sudden the government's behind me and I started getting mean. There's just a lot of cycles where the church seemed to flourish when they didn't have a sense of competing with nationalism. Now, I'm not saying we give up what we have. I'm, I'm trying to be clear, sure. I'm thankful, but I also wonder if I'm if it's not making me soft to um, what needs to matter most. And like you said, sometimes you, even in this environment, mm-hmm. sometimes you've got to make a choice. Uh, remember what Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Mm-hmm. You can't serve two, two rulers. You can't have a president and a king. Because you will be asked to choose. And I think, Jared, you would agree that's coming even more? Yeah. I think it's coming even more. And I just want to be ready. I don't want to run out of here. I'm not one of those people that goes, if that guy gets elected, I'm moving to Canada. It could be the same in Canada, okay? Yeah.
0: I want to be here, but I've I've got to be prepared. I, I think it comes down to, are we an outside in or an inside out kind of people? Do we bring what's outside of us into us, or do we try to bring what's inside of us out of us? And you talked about that when you mentioned the idea of servant- leadership, and, and you said it a little different way, but one of, the, one of the issues that I have with politics myself, and I'm not attacking anybody else, but I fear that a lot of our brethren have this, is that we take the lessons that we learn outside from politics. You mentioned the leadership in Rome versus Jesus washing the feet of the apostles. Those two things are completely incongruous. Jesus even points that out in Matthew 20, when James and John come up to him with their mama, they brought their mama to ask a question. Hey, let them sit at your left and right hand. Why? Cause we have a hard as men, we have a hard time saying no to mamas, but they, yeah, the other apostles get really upset with him about upset with those two about that. Right. Yeah. And they're like, Jesus says, this is not what it's about. Cause you're behaving like the Gentile Lords. He goes, if you want to be the greatest, you got to be the least. I came to serve you by dying for you at, at, in verse 28 of that chapter. That So you have this entire paradigm shift. I wish there was a stronger word than that, but it is a paradigm shift. That And I'm afraid that the more politically we become, the more we drag those outside mentalities into a fellowship that should look like individuals who are trying to live like Christ. Because they serve in His kingdom, because they're part of His kingdom. Jesus gives us example of washing the feet, and I think way too often we look like Diotrephes over in Third John, and not enough like Jesus. We want to decide who's in and who's out. We want to decide where the fellowship lines are drawn among brethren. Hey, I'm not going to ask Chris to step on this limb. I know this is a thin one, and I got to saw it. But hey, that's where I like to work, guys. You listen to the podcast; it's a tightrope. So Chris can say, I'm not going there with you, but I'm going to leave that up to him. But I'm saying this with all the boldness I know how. I think a lot of our brethren would look at diatrophies and say, today we wag our heads at him looking at him in third John. But if he stepped in and said, hey, I'm just trying to keep the, the body pure. I'm just trying to make sure we don't have any bad outside influences come in. So I think we need to decide who's in and who's out. So we can know perfectly, and here's the test that we're going to put them through. John says he does that because he wants the preeminence. I will only add to that. He wants the preeminence, right? Yeah, I will not add much to okay. that. I, hey, None it's my lamb. It's I, my I, I salt. I will add. This, this is not endorsed by Chris Iberson.
1: but I will add to that. No, it is not. But if those tendencies exist, it makes our fellowship very fragile. This is where I do want to piggyback on what you're saying. It makes our fellowship very fragile. If you study uh, our church history, the last 150 years. Man, we fought over a lot of stuff, stuff that you and I don't even think about Mm -hmm. that they would split over. Like I was reading the other day about, you know, on Sundays, you had to walk up to the Lord's table and lay by and store on his table. And the first church that passed a hat around was out, like a lot of fragility and fighting. And that changes generation to generation. But we saw a lot of that in the last five years. Let's get away from like pattern theology for worship when we were dealing with the elections really the, since 2008ish like the elections yeah. caused a lot of rifts that that did not recover for some that yeah. created distance and that's directly on the nose of your topic today mm-hmm. when it came time to for church services to change for covid related things there was a ton of in my opinion there was a lot of judgment passed on that there was a lot of a lot of things and and then and then it came to whether we should wear a mask or not and how we could even worship together with different views on that. I think some Christians looked at each other and said, we can't. Like This is an impasse. What? The deity of Jesus? No. Whether you have to wear a mask or not. And then there was a shot. And we're still talking about that. And if our priorities are in the wrong place, mm-hmm. if we're thinking too individual, let's wrap up a few things. If we're thinking too governmentally over church, then the governmental issues will divide us if we're thinking too individualistically over collectively sheep over flock christian over church child over family then we will fight about any number of things mm-hmm. and draw lines which we did we did over things that i hope we're learning were somewhat ridiculous and it doesn't even matter what you think about them they just they exposed a lot of our weaknesses mm-hmm. but they also just became another example of a fellowship that's not footwashing Amen. A fellowship that has not taken Jesus' fundamental words to deny myself, and it's just showing up. So I say we use that. I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I just think there'll be some pairing off of the church if people couldn't can't handle this. But I think we I think we use it and we try to refocus, do better because something else is coming. It'll be something else tomorrow. It'll be a church issue tomorrow, Jared. It'll be a preacher with a weird position. It'll be. Some other medical thing, (laughs) it'll be some other, it'll always be something.
0: You're on a podcast with a preacher that has two podcasts and a YouTube channel. I promise you, somebody thinks I've got weird positions on something. But it was actually.
1: I was talking about you. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. Brian, I was talking
0: about Brian Haynes. Brian Haynes. Brian Haynes is not here because he's weird. He could be on this show, but he's on another one right now. (laughs) No, we love Brian. He was really bummed he could be here. It's actually the COVID thing that sort of got me thinking about this year that not so much for this particular episode, but really got me thinking about this. I got a call probably a year and a half ago, maybe a little longer than that, from and I'm gonna call him a, a brother in he identified himself as being from California. And he his job, I don't even know how he found me because my name or my name was on the website at the time, but my phone number wasn't on the website at the time. Somehow he found my name and phone number and he wanted to know about the Church of Christ in Beaverton, so I was talking to him. He goes, "I specifically want to know, did you alter your services because the government said you could only have so many people in your building?" I said, "We never stopped having services, but we had we went down to twenty five people at a time, and, and some Sundays that meant we had five people, five services on a Sunday." He goes, D- "Isn't that wrong?" I said, "That's what the local men decided. We didn't have an eldership at the time, but that's what the local men decided." And he said. I'm just going to tell you, I have to mark your congregation and I'm sending out a list to the brotherhood of churches that did not change their worship as being sound and faithful. And I said, brother, I don't really care what you do with your list, but at the end of the day, I can tell you what you're saying is not biblical. So send it out to whoever you want. I don't care because what you're doing isn't biblical and it's not appropriate and it's not accurate. But if you feel like that's what you need to do now, I never have seen that list turn up. I don't know where it went. Maybe it went far and wide. Who knows? That is so sad. It is. That is
1: so myopic, and it it just misses the mercies of the Lord. It misses the unity we're striving for. It just misses so much.
0: That's a good segue back into the servant leadership thing. Servant leadership isn't leading out of fear. It's leading out of necessity. That's the idea of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He knew what he was going to, but he also knew what they needed. And in order for us, and I don't care what role of leadership you're in, everybody is leading someone. Somebody in the audience goes, I maybe they're a woman and they're, I don't preaching's out, the eldership's out. Those, what, who am I leading? You're leading your kids. You're leading whoever you teach the gospel of Jesus to. You are a leader at some point. That when fear, dominates the conversation. And, and that's, again, this issue is about politics. And is it driving us away from seeing the kingdom the way that we should? When fear controls, then we don't serve, we want to control. And that's really the difference. And so when you, I, I mentioned earlier that Jesus is teaching the gospel of the kingdom. And, and I think you said something great in the run up to the show you were talking about how sometimes we have this tendency to want to cobble together what a perfect church looks like out of the epistles. And we forget that the thing that Paul was saying over and over again is you got to go imitate Jesus. You got to go look at Jesus and everything that I'm writing to you is about helping you look more like Jesus. You see it in Ephesians five, right? That, that, that as dear children imitate the father, right? Walk in love. And then you walk in love as Christ loved. It, what did he do? He gave himself for the church. You have this call. In fact, let's just go over and read it because it, it's a powerful kind of passage. You have this call. While you're getting
1: there, someone's going to quote me on what you just said that I said. So let me be clear: we do use the epistles to help fill out the church. Was I not
0: clear on that? Functions. I'm sorry.
1: You, I trust me when I know it has to be spoken. With clarity, but it has to be based on the character and will of Jesus. Yeah. If it doesn't carry his character traits, his plea, his heart, his self-sacrifice, that's what we're talking about today. Like, h- How do I be a part of the church and do everything the epistles tell me to do mm-hmm. if I am not a foot washer? Right. If I do not deny myself, if I don't understand being a part of a kingdom, how am I going to church well? So that, that's the idea. Right. You've got to start with capturing the gospel message and live
0: it out. Not that you said it wrong. I just wanted to. Hey, we, we appreciate clarifications. Can you see my kingdom Bible study over here on the side? I found out almost half the kingdom references, about a third of the kingdom references in the entire Bible come from the gospels. (laughs) That's so cool. That, but look at Ephesians five and one, be imitators of God as beloved children. What does it mean to imitate God? Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself Up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So we imitate God, first instruction, then you have the walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom passages in Ephesians 5. Look at what he says here. Here's the upshot of walking in love, loving as Christ loved, imitating God. What does that look like? It says, Immorality or any impurity or greed must not be named among you as is proper. What's that next word? Among saints. Among saints collectively. It's not just saying from your, think about this in your personal life. It's like, how does your personal life affect who? The brethren. And there must be no filthiness and silly talking or coarse jesting, which are fitting, but rather the giving of thanks for this With certainty that no immoral or impure person who is a covetous man, who is an idolater and an inherit, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And, and that immediately makes me think of Galatians 5, right? It, it sounds sounds like the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. There's a reason why. But when you turn over to Galatians 5, we get a little bit of a larger list going on here. Huh. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. So if we're coming from this place of being afraid or we're coming from this place where this would help us be more confident rather than trying to live like Jesus, this is something that's opposing the walk of the spirit so that you may not do the things that that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immoral, immorality, impurity, sensuality. We'd all agree those are bad. Idolatry, sorcery. What's that next word? Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions envy. Think about those words. What do they all got in common?
1: They usually manifest themselves in ways that people feel very noble about. They're sneaky and divisive, but they always feel like something else if you're the one perpetuating them.
0: So if I have something that is causing me to denominate among my brethren, like Republican versus Democrat, as an example, I need to be, that is a bomb waiting to go off. If it causes somebody to become an enemy, if it creates strife, if it's centered around jealousy, if it is something that contributes or is usually spoken of in anger and outburst, if it causes disputes, dissensions, which is dividing or people sliding away from one another or factions, or envy, he says that doesn't belong to the Spirit. That does not belong to people who are walking after Jesus. Same thought shows up in James chapter 3. And I, this one is the one. Before you go, go to ahead. James 3,
1: don't miss the fact that the whole point at the end of that sentence was what? You will not inherit what? Oh,
0: yes. Thank you. The kingdom. You will not inherit
1: the citizenship. The kingdom of God. That person can't be a part of this family, this flock, this kingdom, because so much of that is interrelated. Uh, I think if, if nothing comes out of this and everybody listens, this is the dumbest and these two guys wasted an hour of my life. Don't forget Jared's early call to kingdom language throughout Jesus' ministry. I just think that in and of itself creates that little shift in thinking towards how does this affect everybody around me?
0: Good read. Now, one of the things uh, before we jump over, I'm glad you pointed that out. That I, I do want to point out is this should inherently make us careful. Th- this should give us caution. Anytime we see ourselves, and again, I'm not saying accept everybody who says they belong to Jesus. I'm not saying that there aren't doctrinal differences that, w- that we have to say this person needs to be taught. I need to be careful about the attitude that I approach it with. And number two, I need to be careful anytime I'm looking at somebody that I'm looking at the new Testament. I see them as being a follower of Christ that, that, they, that you know, their life is shaped that way. They've come to him in the way that he says to come to him, that they're practicing the things that I'm seeing in the new Testament. I need to be careful. Anytime I'm entertaining a thought that is divisive, or creating strife, or is creating disputes or uncertainty around that individual. And politics does a lot of that. I've I've talked with brethren. I have talked with brethren who have said to me, in confidence, I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote for. You need to be careful with that kind of thinking. And I've had brethren who said the opposite about the opposite candidate.
1: Sure. That's the thing is if this is the character with which you approach it, it will manifest itself in a plethora of ways. We like to say it's the issue. That's the thing, but it's the me behind the issue. That's the thing. A couple things about Galatians 5 that They're interesting. Yep. Uh, there were two there, throughout the new Testament. There are two major repeated warnings among brethren. One of them is immorality uh, and just generally unholy behavior. And that's in this mm-hmm. text. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh and, get, don't lose the fact that you're still under rules of a king. But the other thing is making rules for brethren that you don't have a right to make. I think a lot of our own friends missed that Galatians, the letter, the distorted gospel was about grinding out rules of fellowship that you didn't have the right to. They were still doing a lot of Law of Moses stuff. I think it was just still a part of what Jews did, even in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't seem like there was too much anger about that, but they just couldn't help but take that liberty and bind it to justify themselves. And so a lot of the division comes out of those two things. But when you said be careful, I think it's important to, to answer, be careful of, of what? What do I need to really make sure is there when I am telling someone, hey, this is a salvation issue or this matters a lot. I need to be careful to make sure there's love and joy and peace mm-hmm. and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness mm-hmm. and self-control. Where those things exist, Christ is the driving character behind my behavior. It blew me away a few years ago studying gentleness in the New Testament and to whom it's to be displayed. It's all over and it includes everyone. It's pretty amazing. So I know we're getting to the end of this thing. I just I think this is a great landing spot, by the way, from my perspective on going from fear to faith. We talk about God is sovereign and he's in control and we don't always understand what that means, but you can demonstrate what that means. Mm-hmm. Demonstrating. It doesn't mean I can tell you that God supported this election and God supported this law and God wants this to happen in Uganda. That's you trust that he's in control and he's sovereign, but you can't explain what he's doing. But if you do, it will be exhibited in your character and in the way you handle difficulties and just Galatians five. really. I
0: think that's a great segue into James three that you talked about fear to faith. Who among you is wise and, and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. So wisdom makes us what? What'd you just say there? But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wiz, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. We then have the example of the heavenly wisdom that sounds a lot like the fruit of the spirit. But again, these political type issues, and it's not just politics. There's lots of things that can divide us. I get it. But I need to stop and ask what the spirit is that I'm approaching this. Because this is exactly, this is not, we're not trying to shoehorn something into Galatians or James. I want you to, in James in many ways is, a, is a, the very first commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. But I want you to look at the first question he asks in James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasure that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world, so adopting the world's ways as friendship with the world, is hostility toward God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. You can't be part of God's kingdom and adopt the ways of the world. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit, which he's made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You have that quotation from the 138th Psalm there. What's the upshot of this? Submit to God, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. If you go over to Hebrews You're drawing near to God. You're drawing near to Jesus. You're drawing near to your brethren as well. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then I love verse 9. Be miserable, mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to gloom. The things that you used to rejoice over, you're now sorrow-filled over. This is Paul in Philippians 3, right? Those things that I counted as gain are now trash for the sake of Christ and then here's what you need to approach jesus humble yourself in the presence of the lord and he will exalt you and that that would take us right back over to matthew 5 and the beatitudes who is part of the kingdom of god what do kingdom citizens really have in common they're poor in spirit they 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 mourn they have a sorrow that only that they know that only god can refresh there's a lot of isaiah and jeremiah imagery and blessed are are those who mourn for they shall be comforted they're gentle they they hunger and thirst for righteousness they are merciful are we showing judgment to the thoughts the behaviors the political alignment to our brethren are we approaching that with a merciful spirit that's the only way we're going to receive mercy are we pure in heart are our motives pure as we're making judgments And we're being affected. We're in a political season. Who we're going to vote for? Are our motives pure? Are we pure in our heart? Are we trying to make peace? Are we willing to be persecuted for the sake of our righteousness? Because that's who's part of the kingdom. The very next thing is you have the salt and the light statements, right? And then he says in verse 16, let your light so shine before men, or let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount, what does a kingdom citizen look like? He's not someone who takes the letter of the law and is comfortable with that. He takes the spirit the law is given in. He wants to be perfect like God is perfect. He doesn't practice hypocrisy. He's not someone who is tied to this world. He's seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. I'm trying to paraphrase the Sermon on the Mount, dude. This is rough. He sees God as being good. He's not using unright. He's going. not using unrighteous judgment. That he does the good he wants done to them. He sees the way that the rest of the world walks and says, "Nope, buddy, I'm going this way because that's the way that leads to eternal life." He's calling other people to that road because he's living the will of the Father. Because that that many are going to say to me on that day, "Didn't I prophesy in your name and cast out many demons?" He's going to say, "I never knew you." Why? Because you didn't do the will of my father. Okay. What's the will of my father? It's back in the you Beatitudes. Did, you went, you, he's still going. Why am I even talking? To <laughs> the man is still preaching. Hey, that's the shortest. That's the shortest sermon on the mount ever.
1: You just cut my stuff out. <laughs> I think when you're reading through these passages, and you see what Jared did, he was so consistent with James, with Galatians, with Matthew. It's all there. It's unmistakable. Just beware. This is the irony of this we're trying to talk about the kingdom as this group of people that we want to devote ourselves to. Um, It's not an institution. It's just people working together. We need to have more view of that, but institutionalism will cause all of those great qualities to fly out the window faster than anything Mm -hmm. else. Uh, Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a part of a sect, uh, an institution of Pharisees, and he had to protect that. And then, so that's why there was so much jealousy because he had to protect those, that group, And then politically, they were protecting the institution of being under Rome and the way that worked and the Herods and all that. And if you're wondering, why does all this fly out the window for brethren sometimes? Why is it like all of a sudden they're not gentle and they're not patient and they write you up and they go crazy? It's because there's some institution that they need to defend. And what I would just say is just be careful with that. Mm -hmm. Remember, it's just God is sovereign and Christ over his kingdom. And we're a part of this group of people And I want to defend the integrity of Christ's character among that group before I defend the government or the particular group of believers I'm with. All those kinds of things have to fit, have to be carried out with these character traits, but that's when they get thrown out pretty fast. And we need to, and that goes back to fear a little bit, but we need to be careful of that. Know your weakness, know what it is about you that causes the fruit of the spirit to fly out the window and try to
0: really hone in on that. Dude, we've got an hour and we, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. I want to riff on what you just said and then we'll bring it into a land because I know you got, I know you got other things you got to get to, but, and and I'm going to give you a sermon idea. You got, you got your pencil ready? This is a Jared Bowman sermon idea based on something Chris Emerson said. So you can take total credit for it. If it's dumpster fire, then just push it over on me. So, institutionalism being the enemy of the kind of selfless servant, one servant to another kind of relationship that we're called to have. We're supposed to love the people, feel deeply connected to them, but it's, it doesn't become an institution. It, it is organic. And that's the division. That, that's the sermon idea. How do you become an organism versus an institution? John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, you bear fruit. And the next statement he makes after he finishes that analogy is love one another as I have loved you. And that means put up with each other's faults the same way I put up with your faults. Be gentle with each other the way that I've been gentle with you. Protect one another as I've protected you. Lead one another as I have led you. Correct one another as I have corrected you. But that is a difference between an organism and an institution. Do you want to have an organic relationship with the people of God that is focused on their well-being and glorifying God? That is exactly what in the New Testament. But the minute it becomes, I've got something that is more of a concept than an organism that I need to hold on to that concept, and politics and political alignment is part of that concept, then we are now— part of a body that I don't think Jesus recognizes.
1: What's the solution for that? How do you work on that? Some of it is knowing yourself and that's what we've talked about. What are your tendencies? What sets you off? Some of that is knowing the history of the group that you're with. If you worship at Jared and I do churches of Church of Christ, which is a great biblical name, know the history and what some of the battles were and and try to ascertain what, because there are things we're fighting for. And there are things that are not try to work on that. And just keep reading the word. I started, Jared, about, I can't remember, almost six years ago, just getting up every morning and reading a New Testament chapter. I've got an Old Testament thing too, but every there's 260 chapters in the New Testament. So every nine months or so, just roll. And every day, it's just read it, write some things about it, read it. and what you, that, There's no shortcut to that. right? But after you, you cycle through back to back to back to back, you just start to see it. You see the theme. The, his theme, not our theme, not your theme, not the theme you were raised to make. It may be accurate, but it doesn't mean it's anything because it came from there. Like you really start to see that God was so beautifully clear on what matters most and how he's going to judge us on the last day. Mm-hmm. And I read something on Facebook the other day. Someone said, someone had said, if God just gave you his grace and told you to do whatever you want, what would you do? And the guy said, that's a bad question because he gave us the word. I 100% agree with that guy. That's a bad question because... God did give you his grace. And then he said, look, I promise this is not going to be complicated. It's not going to be complicated. It's going to be beautiful and selfless. Just just read it. Just read it and live Mm -hmm. it. And and beware of getting caught up in organizations or institutions or movements that try to dictate that for you. When the church, the kingdom, the family of God is really just like you said, just beautiful, simple interaction of believers carrying out the will of God. So we don't want to leave everybody with, wow, this is a mess. The solution is always is in the Holy Spirit's revelation. And we just have to spend our time. And
0: it's beautifully simple, right? It's beautifully simple. Just put yourself in the word. Do what it says. Put the kingdom before yourself. Follow Jesus in that pattern of servant leadership. And follow that kingdom law. You do that, you're going to be okay. The only warning that I'm giving anybody today is, Be careful what you let intrude. It becomes a marker of faith or becomes a marker of of responsibility or fellowship. Be careful what you let intrude because the political world is always going to be dangerous. And there are other applications to that, but the political world is always going to be dangerous. All right, buddy, I know you're not a political guy, but I think you did a bang up job. You were the perfect guest for this. Absolutely love having you on, and and you know I love you, brother. But I'm going to give you last word, and then we'll sign out. What do you got?
1: Man, thank you. This was interesting. We had no script or plan. We just started talking, and I I always enjoy doing that with you. My last thought to people is when you read through the New Testament, we need to stand for what's true, and we can't compromise on everything to make other people happy, no matter who those people are. But it's just intriguing how often the New Testament talks about mercy over judgment. It's confounding why that isn't getting more of a feature among all of us, that mercy triumphing over judgment. James 4, brethren not judging each other. Uh, God's going to do that. He came the first time just to save John 3. He's going to come back at the end. He's going to judge. And you're neither of those people. Mm -hmm. If you're a preacher, an eldership, a church, dad, you're neither the savior nor the judge. Mm -hmm. You're just someone trying to live Christ and share Christ and help people and warn them if they need to turn their lives to Christ, just let mercy lead. And I just think, I think it's a beautiful plan and we need to constantly remind ourselves to get back to it.
0: Amen. That's a whole other episode, brother. We can talk about mercy and judgment, but you did a great job on this. One. Maybe I'll have you back for that one. That's an interesting concept and it goes a lot of cool places, okay. but from all of us here at the biblically speaking, the podcast, We're glad to have you back. We're glad to be back off winter hiatus. Brian will be back next week. I don't know if we'll have a guest or not, and he and I are fleshing out the topic that we're going to talk about, and I'll reveal it a little while later. Hopefully you're checking out the Daily Bible Reading, the Daily Bible Insights, where I give you three to five uh, insights about a passage from God's Word in about 10 minutes or less. And other than that, check out our sister channel, Man Up, and the 12 Question 12 week challenge to be a better husband, father and leader. Don't have a lot of guys participating in that yet. So I hope you'll think about that and join until we see you again. Have a good day and God bless.